don't have enough time to sit down and read all the best Bitcoin articles? Well, let us read them for you. This is a Crypto Economy Quick Read. All right, crew, welcome back to the Crypto Economy Podcast. Um, we are closing out the awesome BitTorrent Lessons for Crypto series by Simon Morris today, and I'm just going to jump right in. Um, and uh, if you have not, just to start this off, if you have not listened to parts one through three, um, they they should be listened to in order. So uh, uh, either go back and listen to them or read them. You can find them on Sam. I mean, excuse me, Simon Morris's. Uh, medium page um they're linked in the show notes and on my recent tweets so um uh, definitely go back and either read or listen to the previous episodes um because this is a really really great series about like just the lessons and challenges that BitTorrent went through and like uh, how the the governance and ecosystem apply to what's been going on in bitcoin and crypto in general and I think there's some really fun discussion about all of this too. So if you haven't heard it yet, definitely go back and uh, do some exploring and then come back here and listen to part four. And this one is titled Decentralized Disruption. Who dares wins. And since I am off to a bit of a late start today, let's go ahead and jump right in. This is the last part of a series of four posts. The previous ones are here. 1. Why BitTorrent mattered. 2. If you're not breaking rules, you're doing it wrong. And 3. Intent, complexity, and the governance paradox. The BitTorrent ecosystem grew into a decentralized, slow-moving, almost ungovernable network. Yet, it has remained strongly censor-resistant as hundreds of millions of users continue to share all types of media files online. BitTorrent Incorporated built a modest-sized business distributing two of the most popular BitTorrent clients, uTorrent and BitTorrent, and putting ads in front of their users. There were a number of other VC-backed companies which became involved in different parts of the ecosystem, all hoping to find a way to capture some of the copious amounts of value that had clearly been created for consumers. But if the objective of the game was to secure billion-dollar exits and huge returns on capital invested, then every one of them failed. With the wonderful benefit of hindsight, here is what actually happened. Revolution and Reaction BitTorrent was surely successful in this. It forced the media industry to think harder. In the light of the BitTorrent ecosystem, it simply was not going to be possible to charge users to repurchase all their music in MP3 format, the same way they taxed users who wanted to transfer from vinyl to cassette to CD. In spite of ever more sophisticated copy protection technologies, revenue protection service offerings, and showcase trials and punishments, what actually happened as a result of the grand showdown between entrenched interests and technology wielded by the masses was not the victory of one side or the other, 
but the emergence of something totally different and radically better. In short, the whole concept of, quote, the file disappeared from sight, and we watched the rebirth of old media in a new and better form, Spotify and Netflix, and the emergence of new media, YouTube and Instagram, all with experience-oriented value propositions and business models. Media everywhere stopped being about the file and started being about the experience. Consumers stopped fretting over ownership of music or movies and are now concerned entirely with access, the experience of just listening to what you want whenever you want and watching great engaging shows and channels on demand. Consumers don't want to worry about where the digital file is, how long it will take to get, whether their device can play the file or how often they can listen or watch. All these concerns are satisfied and the experience becomes a simple discovery mechanism and a play button. A similar story played out in software, as all types of software, games, and apps have become increasingly experience-oriented rather than file-oriented. Almost everywhere now you pay to subscribe to the experience rather than paying a fee for a copy of the file. The BitTorrent ecosystem was obviously not the only force at work. The relentless upgrade of internet bandwidth by ISPs, the proliferation of screens with powerful computers in every part of our lives, and the emergence of rich new ways of interacting digitally, largely funded by ads from the emerging data industrial complex. What's clear is that today the whole concept of files is increasingly anachronistic. Files have been abstracted away almost everywhere and replaced with experiences. And I'm guessing the vast majority of us would agree that this is a great thing for just about everyone. Who dares wins? In spite of the scale and impact of the BitTorrent ecosystem, BitTorrent Incorporated never succeeded in capturing any meaningful part of the upside from all the disruption. Perhaps a better or luckier team could have found more success? There were many homegrown ideas, but we were always held back from addressing the biggest problems in the BitTorrent ecosystem, like the horrible discovery experience, as well as the most voted for user request, anonymity, by legal concerns which might have exposed the company to vast liabilities, up to 150000 for every file copied. We're talking $50 trillion of potential liabilities every month. Pushing the rule-breaking theme harder than BitTorrent Incorporated was prepared to lead to nothing durable. For example, there was but a short-lived explosion of popularity for Popcorn Time, a sort of combination of both torrent site and BitTorrent client into a Netflix-like experience for pirated movies. The Argentine development team was, quote, linked on and the project abruptly disappeared as developers decided that an actual career in tech was more interesting than a lonely and one-sided battle against copyright lawyers. So if the revolution was led by the BitTorrent ecosystem, there were no clear winners who emerged directly from that ecosystem. Although BitTorrent Incorporated was one of the key protagonists, it's clear that neither BitTorrent Incorporated nor any other BitTorrent ecosystem participant succeeded in achieving a meaningful reward from its position. Perhaps one of the most 
far-sighted winners here was Daniel Ek, CEO and founder of Spotify, who preceded his Spotify success with the sale of the uTorrent client to BitTorrent Incorporated. Although early versions of Spotify used a BitTorrent-like peer-to-peer protocol to try to save money on bandwidth, they quickly realized that the main point of BitTorrent had little to do with saving money, and decentralization of their architecture was actually counterproductive to their aim. Perhaps it was apparent to them way back then that leading a revolution is exciting, but it's far better to build the thing to save incumbents from the unleashed mob. And this is the main conclusion. Decentralization may be great for disruption, but if the experience of BitTorrent is anything to go by, it is not at all clear that it has a role in whatever comes next. Blockchain architectures are great for unleashing unstoppable, rule-breaking mobs, but we shouldn't mistake the rule-breakers for the winners. A prominent political scientist once observed that political revolutions are great at state-breaking, but not so great at state-making or replacing them with something better. The same might be true for the type of rule-breaking disruption that is unleashed by decentralized architectures. As I look at the rule breakers, I'm especially interested in what the reaction might be. What paradigm might change, like the abstracting away of files in the media industry, leading to a whole new way of doing things? For it is here that the biggest winners may emerge. All right, so let's take a quick break. I'm going to grab another coffee, and uh, we will talk about our sponsor for the show, And then we will jump back into the last section of this article, which is a full recap of all the lessons that BitTorrent can teach us for Bitcoin and the blockchain. All right, recap. Lessons from BitTorrent for the blockchain. In summary, I realized that Bitcoin and BitTorrent are wildly different in so many ways, yet I'm struck by a number of similarities. In hopes of helping people avoid a repeat of history, I'd suggest that the following lessons from the experience of BitTorrent are relevant to new participants in the blockchain revolution. 1. Don't worry about what decentralization is. Worry about what it does. In particular, worry about whether it enables rules to be broken that unlock new ways of doing things or new opportunities that were previously prohibited directly or indirectly by rules. Bluntly, if you're not breaking rules, you're doing it wrong. 2. If you are breaking rules, watch out. Rules of various types have many defenders, guardians, and enforcers. A good way to tell if you're breaking the rules is if there's anyone out there that actually cares and wants you to cut it out. There are many examples of rules that have outlived their usefulness, and rule-making is often slow and can be helped along by a good dose of well-intentioned rule-breaking. 3. Intent is an extremely dangerous signal to send. And yet for companies trying to get established and funded, it is hard to see how they can be silent about their intent. BitTorrent succeeded by chance. Bitcoin disclosed its intent but protected itself with anonymity. I'm not sure what to recommend for newly starting companies in this space except to remember that your stated intent 
will likely follow you forever. Truly decentralized projects are extremely complex, and complexity is costly. Those costs may be differently allocated in a decentralized system, but we should be very cautious of projects that are either overly optimistic about how quickly they can get things done, and especially of those who promise decentralization as a way to make things cheaper. 5. Governance of a decentralized system is extremely hard. If you have good decentralization, then the coordination costs are going to be very high and the process will be very slow and often ineffective. Bitcoin? Ethereum? But if you have strong coordination and an ability to execute a plan with tight discipline, you may not have a very decentralized system and are quite likely exposed to the long arm of rule enforcement. 6. The ICO boom is the best example of successful rule-breaking. Capital formation via the boom around ICOs was the first and maybe only strong example of rule-breaking that has taken place in the blockchain space so far. It also seems to have been effectively stopped by the rule enforcers, somewhat calling into question how well-designed the entire decentralized system was to support this use case. 7. Rule-breaking is not sustainable without bounds. States, and even ISPs, have enormous power. The stated intent of Bitcoin to undermine rules around government control of sovereign currencies sets an interesting challenge to governments in the case that it ever looks like it might succeed. China and North Korea have both demonstrated pretty clearly that if you control the pipes of the internet, then you control the internet. BitTorrent could have been eradicated by state intervention, but most states chose a lighter-touch approach. The same is mostly true so far for cryptocurrencies, but the scope is so much greater, and time will tell at what point a state actor will feel compelled to intervene. For example, if you invent a way for no one to have to bother paying taxes anymore. Well, good luck with that. 8. The winners created in the wake of BitTorrent disruption, Spotify, and Netflix, shed any semblance of decentralization. It simply wasn't necessary anymore and actually made things harder, but their success was the result of a paradigm shift where files were abstracted away. In the wake of disruption brought by Bitcoin or other cryptocurrency systems, what will be abstracted away? What will be the paradigm shift? And will a decentralized architecture become irrelevant once the new way is identified? And there we have it. That is the BitTorrent Lessons for Crypto. Uh, parts 1 through 4 in their entirety. Um, uh, please, I encourage you to go and drop some final applause on all four of these amazing articles. Um, there are so many great points in this, and there are a couple of things that I disagree with, but I think all in all, everything that he discusses has a strong degree of relevance and truth to them. Um, I like the one point that I mentioned in one of the previous ones is that I don't think the ICO boom, even though it is a great example of the rule breaking, I don't think it was the best example yet of successful rule breaking. 
Um, and uh, uh, it's funny, we, uh, I was actually on a discussion, uh, Brady uh, from Citizen Bitcoin and uh, Ansel Linder, we were chatting the other day and uh, talking, we got on a tangent talking about that very thing of the kind of the extracting away, abstracting away of files and how um, everything has gone to a subscription, like that subscription model completely dominates the internet right now. Um, and that it's all about the experience that you're paying for an experience and ongoing development and being part of a community. And it's just really, that's such a fascinating shift to me in the terms of like how, uh, how the customer reaches the service or the, um, the product that they're looking for and that they become, they become interactive with it. It's like the customers just aren't passive anymore. Um, not on the internet, not in this, not in this new paradigm. Uh, customers aren't passive about what they want to watch. They don't watch a linear like sequence of events that somebody else schedules for them. They pick and they find and they choose what they want to what they want to watch on TV or on excuse me on Netflix and uh, whatever. And then the same thing with podcasts and stuff. Somebody goes and searches you out and picks through, looks at ratings, and listens to specifically something that they want to listen to. They're not fed a channel of uh, something that someone else sets up for them. It's curated. It's an experience for them. The software that people use, uh, all the major software are, um, all the major software pieces are now subscription-based so that you're part of the community, so that you can get questions answered and that you can talk to developers and uh, talk about what you don't like and get and actually influence um like it's crazy like with casa you know we're just in the support forum for the casa node and you know people suggest things that like oh i wish we could do this or i feel like this little like there needs to be like a confirmation thing like right here and then they they change it they 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 adapt to what the customer is wanting to make the experience specific to like what feels comfortable like like it's just it's a really crazy shift in the economy and i don't think the old way works anymore um like i think i think it's just on its way out i think it's just a matter of everyone discovering that this other way of living and doing business actually exists you know it's 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 just the barrier between an old way of thinking and a new way of thinking or and or doing business and like creating things, and I think I think it's just, um, I think that was a huge thing, and I think BitTorrent had a very big part in that. Um, but I don't think like decentralization. BitTorrent is a great example, but I don't think it's the perfect example of Bitcoin because TCP/IP is also a decentralized protocol, and TCP/IP did not get replaced with an a non-decentralized version. Like, it's still just the protocol for communicating on the internet. Um, and it still, we don't, and just like that, we have court, huge coordination problems. IPv6 has been, you know, next year for 12 years or 15 years, however long it's been, that um, people have been arguing over that crap. And still, IPv4 is dominant. Still, you have, you know, your regular, um, we're segmenting out and layering the networks has more than enough kept up with scaling. 
Um, even though we're always on the edge of not making it any further, somehow we always squeeze out another million devices this year or so. So um, it's it's funny to think that it, it, I, I don't think I don't think BitTorrent is the um, end all say all. There are many many great lessons to be learned from this. Um, but I don't think Bitcoin, as far as like the paradigm shift that's going to happen, I don't think there is a centralized way to get the trust model of Bitcoin. Um, and being that like from my perspective and from the economics of it, I see central banking as the major disruption happening here, which I mean, number seven is a really good uh, rule breaking is not sustainable without bounds. And how he says, you know, this is mostly true uh, uh, so far for cryptocurrencies. But, uh, quote, the scope is so much greater and time will tell at what point a state actor will feel compelled to intervene. For example, if you invent a way for no one to have to bother paying taxes anymore, well, good luck with that. Yes, that is a very, very tall order. And for, like, someone like China... And I mean, like, just like he says, China and North Korea are great examples of uh, state level actors that would be extremely unhappy about losing that power because that is the ultimate power of the state to create the money and essentially control the flow of funds for what they perceive as their goals. Um, and they will not go silently into the night, so to speak. Um, and if you cannot achieve, achieve consensus on a global scale, if China can bottleneck or like they can choke the uh, data streams of Bitcoin across the border, well, then Bitcoin is no longer a global network. China will have, there will be a break. There will be essentially be a fork that is not actually a, it's not a consensus, like a, like a rule change hard fork, but a inability to um, sync hard fork. And, you know, if something like that is sustained for, you know, months, like you're talking about literally hundreds of blocks, like reorg, like a, like a huge, huge orphaned chain, because if the data ever makes it back across that, all those transactions that happened in China versus the rest of the world are not consolidated, um, which is exactly why Bitcoin developers are so concerned about making Bitcoin work over something like Tor or some other private network, or work over satellites, um, because that is the greatest existential threat to Bitcoin. And the, the, the challenge, which is not a small challenge, the huge challenge here is to make this government proof, um, and not necessarily just for like, whether or not you're specifically not bothering to pay taxes, but that it is that there is sovereignty and that it is empowering the user, is empowering the citizen to stand up to a corrupt government and provides a means to challenge the most despotic or uh, the most corrupt rules. And that paying taxes is reliant on government providing a useful service to people. Um, and because it is exactly not being able to refuse taxes for terrible service or corrupt service or uh, murdering services of just wars that nobody gives a shit about. I mean, think about it. Think about it. Is it, it taking the U.S., for example, how many people do you think could tell you 
the whole list of countries that we are bombing right now. Just think about it. It's like eight or nine, I think, now that we're, we're bombing and or slash warring with, um, that we are infiltrating with troops on the ground and um, basically manipulating uh, their elections, deciding you know, which direction their quote-unquote democracy should go. And, but you know, government is supposed to be representative of the people. So if it's true that the majority, the vast majority of people could not list the whole eight, where did they get the idea that they needed to go bomb and invade these countries? Like, they're supposed to be representative of the people. It's supposed to start with, oh, the people want this war or the people want to be defended from this country in particular, so they elect representatives who uh, act on their behalf and, and campaign for the thing that they want, and then they make the government do that. But that's exactly the opposite of what's happened here. The government has wanted to do something, and then they campaigned and hired politicians to sell it to the people. Like, it, it, it happened completely in reverse. That's not a customer service relationship. That's a master subservient relationship. Um, so I think, it, I think that rule breaking is uh, that method of breaking rules or that aspect of breaking the rules is exactly the kind of situation where rules outlive their usefulness. When rules become corrupt and evil, it is an obligation to be disobedient. Um, and I think this rule breaking will rein in some of the awful corruption and force them to say, if some people do stop paying taxes, if they do lose their ability to inflate the currency away, well, then they have to realize that they can't just go, they just can't go willy nilly go bomb somebody because they don't have the $1.3 million to pay for the bomb. Um, and I think that's an important rule. Um, that I think that's a significant rule that needs to be challenged. Um, so it is a, I mean, you know, good luck with that. It is not, that is the challenge of all challenges, really, is to stick to a moral uh, conviction when the largest and most powerful institutions are deeply corrupt and immoral. That is basically how you get the biggest target on your head that you could have. Um, so it's important that, you know, um, developers and things who are building these tools be incredibly careful, um, because I think some of those rules could be broken, um, and some of those rules will necessarily be challenged, um, and bent a lot, um, with some of these tools that are being made. And just for the record, I'm not suggesting that anyone should stop paying their taxes. Um, that is a huge, huge risk, and I do not recommend it at all. Um, I am very sadly and painfully paying my taxes. I mean, if you have, if you have a family and uh, friends and a life that you care about, do not take that risk. Um, but, you know, if you've got the balls like some people out there um, to go gung-ho and stick to all of that, uh, you good luck, good luck. But um, like I'll root, but uh, I'm not gonna tell you to do that. That's a, that's something I would not wish on anyone, to be standing there in front of that 
Leviathan and basically say, I will not contribute to you in any way. That's a scary place to be. Okay, went on a bit of a tangent there, but um, this was just a this is just a wonderful series and uh, sheds really some light on the the real value case of decentralization. Um, like uh, like one other thing is uh, true n- number four, number three, and number four in the recla- recap. Um, oh wait, no, three was intent. Uh, four was truly decentralized projects are extremely complex. And complexity is costly. Um, I think that I think that's a perfect perfect rule to consider when thinking about all of those systems that believe they're going to make things cheaper. Um, be incredibly cautious of anyone who says they're going to create some giant decentralized system that will make everything cheaper, um, because that's just not the case. Um, uh, decentralization, like like. Oh God! I had debates. If anybody's been keeping up with it, with uh, Satoshi's vision BSV, there there's people are putting like entire videos and pictures and stuff on the blockchain, and everybody thinks this is just a great idea, and that this is some big decentralized hard drive that everybody's going to be able to access. And I just can't. I feel so conflicted because like. I feel like there's no, I mean, people, people are so vicious and just mean if you, if, if you just say it's like, no, that's really, that's a, that's a terrible idea. They just like, oh, you're being paid and blah, 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 block core, block street core, build a burger. And, and, you know, like I try to be incredibly civil about it as, as much as I can be. And honestly, as mean as some of those people are, I still feel sad. Like, like I think. Jesus, guys, like, like you just got you're, you're you got the whole thing flipped upside down. This is not a decentralized hard drive. It is literally the the least of all things that makes any sense to use this system for. But you know, I guess I guess we have to have the examples of people doing it wrong for everyone to understand how to do it right. Um, so you know, that's, that's that is what it is. Um, and Bcash and BSV are their thi- their things, and good luck. Um, but uh, I don't think I don't think either will be around for very long. Um, we'll see, we'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think so. But you know, couple couple hundred, maybe thousand hours of reading and exploring and holding all of the different opinions. I think has shed some light. I think I have something to add and I know a bit about what I'm talking about. And I do not think, I think that's the exact opposite of anything that makes sense. But, you know, I'll leave it open. I'm not, I mean, I I don't want to be like that arrogant, you know, and just say that there's no chance that I'm wrong because clearly there is. And I've been wrong about a lot of this stuff in the past. I was, my initial reaction to, uh, large blocks and like Bitcoin Classic and Unlimited were that I was really excited about them. Um, the one that had it so that you could actually signal for like what the block size should be, I thought might be really cool. Um, I mean, didn't take long to do some digging and realize like, oh, yeah, that might be a huge trade-off that we do not want. Um, so like, you know, I ended up changing my mind, but I could change my mind again. So 
With that, let's go ahead and close this one here. And I just want to ask if, and I'll drop this in the Twitter thread, um, or of course you can drop me a line on cryptoeconomy.life. What do you think the paradigm shift will be? Do you think Bitcoin will be a bridge? Do you think Bitcoin will be like BitTorrent in that it has, it creates a huge disruption of the old system and a new system simply replaces it and then Bitcoin falls away as being not necessary? Um, or do you, think, do you think like I do, that Bitcoin will be around and that this will be a decentralized protocol that stays and grows and actually has, that really cannot be replaced with a different paradigm, that it is the new paradigm? Um, or do you think it's too costly? You know, like, like what, do you, what do you see? What's the new way that's going to be discovered out of this? And how do you think Bitcoin will play into it? Um, I'm curious to see what everybody else thinks um, after having read this amazing four-part series by Simon Morris. Again, do not forget to go throw some applause on all four of these. This was just a really fun read. Um, and... I think it would be absolutely foolish of us to not take into account the huge lessons and experience of BitTorrent um, that do apply to Bitcoin, because I think there is a lot to be learned here, and uh, Simon Morris deserves a hell of an applause for putting these pieces together, and hopefully you guys have enjoyed it as much as I have. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, I will be back here on Monday with another episode. Don't forget to check out. Uh, if you are not subscribed, what are you doing? We're going to have these things coming out daily. You got to subscribe. Go to iTunes or your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the show. Share it out with anybody else that you know in the Bitcoin and crypto space. I make probably about, uh, I don't know, six or seven bucks per episode. So. Um, it's, it's trickling in and it's actually paying for the services and stuff I do to keep this alive a lot because of Anchor being free um, and then also hooking me up with sponsors. Uh, so um, if you can, that is directly related though to how many people listen to the show. So the best thing you guys can do to help out this show is share it with everybody that you know in Bitcoin. Um, and I think there are probably a ton of people who could get value out of this that are not listening to it. They don't know it's out there. So uh, if you could share uh, this show with one person, that would be absolutely wonderful. Thank you guys so much. Don't forget to check out CryptoEconomy.life and you can find me on Twitter at The CryptoEconomy. That is me, Guy Swan, and I will catch you all back here with another episode on Monday. Until then, take it easy, guys. (laughs) 